Now guys, we, uh, we've talked about it before. How do we get our... Uh, how do we get our... Uh, operational belief system to line up with our verbal belief system. We've talked about that before. That uh, we sing songs like that, we believe it in our head. That's our verbal belief system. How do we, how do we get it um, consistently, closely lined up with our operational belief system? Okay, uh, relationally, uh, with the Father and with each other. You know, we, it, it's, it's tough. True or false? I mean, I, I sing much better praise songs than I live. Okay? Um, I, I believe it when I walk away from my devotion time that I'm going to claim God's power. And yet, um, you know, that, that one guy, the track that I just can't seem to embrace, you know, he's the first guy I see. <laughs> Okay, I mean, it, does that not happen with y'all? Okay, so if we're not careful, we begin to um, sort of uh, accept mm, mediocrity in our walk. Okay, and I'm not asking for perfection here. Remember, we're talking about progress. Okay, but but sometimes uh, we we satisfy for even absence of progress in our lives. So how are we going to train ourselves uh, to not do that? Because as we train ourselves, that's the message, of course, that we have to the people that we spend time with. So um, how, how are we going to do it? You know, what do you do to train yourself? Um, if we're using that try and train thing, what, um, you know, uh, last time I was with some of you, we talked about uh, a book called The Inspiring Leader. And we... I borrowed from that book. Um, he said it better than this, and he was making a different point. But he said that if we want to, in a sense, keep the light bright in our lives. Okay, and, and again, he didn't draw this picture, so don't. <laughs> I'm taking away from his book what it made me think about. Okay, he'd, he'd probably be quite insulted by this, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, but. Um, but he was talking about um, that just like a, a, a six-self um, uh, flashlight uh, is, is bright, we've got to think about the role model that we are. And then are we what he calls change champions. Okay, and, and so as we, as we think about being role models in ministry, again, training to be role models. You know, how are we doing with that? And as we think about being people that believe that change can take place. You know, when I meet with a young girl that's starving herself to death, do I believe that that not not just in, y'all know the passage, but having a form of godliness but denying it is power. You know, when I meet with this person, do I believe that God can turn her life around? And some of that belief is rooted in not just what you verbalize, but what you're experiencing in your own walk. Yeah, and so uh, because an, an absence of the two coming together, it's just uh, it's just it's just talk, uh, empty rhetoric in a sense. Okay, and and, and again, I'm uh, certainly I'm, I'm, I'm uh, I get called to presbytery often. I'm everything but legalistic. Okay, 
Okay, uh, almost every time they have a, a uh, an executive session, it's about me at Presbyterian. Almost every time. Yeah, I'm just kidding. You know, I, I, so, and sometimes I, I, I you know, I, I, I don't even know it's coming. Okay. Um, and so we, we always laugh. And this guy last time they were they were, uh, you know, dealing with me with an issue. And this guy in the back saved my life. He stood up, just the oldest guy in Presbyterian. You know, walks in with a cane, very respected. I adore him. And he he stands up in the back and he says, Well, you know, Kenny's not the most orthodox guy we've ever had. <laughs> so that's how he starts his thing. Is he for me or against me? <laughs> And so, but in this setting, here's what we've got to believe, that whatever they point out in my life, if it's valid and needs to be changed by God's uh, standards, His absolutes, do I believe God can change it? And do I readily accept their encouragement? Uh, although it rarely comes in that form. <laughs> but would I see it as encouragement from God? If some parent calls you with some complaint about the ministry that you're doing, if we're not careful in youth ministry, you know it's true. If we're not careful in youth ministry, we play the students against their parents, which is not biblical at all. You know, we're the we're the cooler we're the cooler substitute parent, so to speak, which is uh, atrocious, guilty, doing it myself, still atrocious. Especially if we understand that most of the scripture talks about it really forces us to deal with authority submissive relationships with the Father, with the thought with in, in many settings. Okay, and if we're not careful in our ministry sometimes we cho- we encourage kids to be sort of a uh, acceptably rebellious. Now, I remember years ago there was one particular youth program that was big, traveling all over the country, teaching people how to do youth ministry, and, and I, I love the guys, and they're wonderful, but I remember sitting in there thinking they were talking about how it's neat to break into a hospital after hours and take uh, snacks to kids that are in the hospital, and I'm sitting there going, ooh, you know, even a buzzer went off even in my heart, okay? okay am, I, am I going to, I, I remember the first night we fit uh, uh, firework wars when I was a youth pastor. Okay, and we would shoot bottle rockets at each other. <laughs> <laughs> and so I got good at it. If you cut the end of a golf club off and stick the bottle rocket in the in the shaft, <laughs> and he gives you distance and accuracy. <laughs> so so um, we uh, we had all these uh, rockets going off at the beach and. and uh, we were cutting up, and so a, a police officer came to stop us, okay, uh, because it sounded like Vietnam out there. <laughs> okay, and, came, and so the, the students thought that it was me dressed up in a police outfit, and so they started nailing this police officer. <laughs> and I'm running out of the dunes going, whoa, whoa, whoa. And so the police officer I, I scolded me, okay, and, uh, and so I'm, I'm thinking, what am I teaching? And then... Um, it wasn't like I made everybody. Hey, I was trying to be safe. We had to wear, you had to wear swimming goggles. <laughs> and uh, I wore, I used a snorkel because you couldn't breathe for all the smoke. <laughs> and, uh, 
But uh, and so we were shooting and stuff, and this one kid's running across. In a million years, you couldn't make this shot. In a million years, I'm cutting up, and everybody's running across the field, and my team's with me, and I said, watch this. And then I stop bleeding, and he falls to the ground screaming. And I'm going, no way! I mean, inside I'm going, that, is, that will go down. This shot's out. On the outside I'm going, I'm so getting fired. And so uh, it hit him in the face. One of those whistle ball rockets exploded on his face. Uh, <laughs> his father was the biggest giver to the church an elder we go back to the uh, house I start patching him up it's about 1.30 in, my mor- in the morning my wife is scolding me with her eyes okay and so then the guy says this <laughs> he said that, Kenny you're the coolest youth pastor we've ever had I'll tell my dad this is a rug burn. <laughs> I'm thinking, that's a great idea. <laughs> My wife is saying, see, you know, what are we, what are we teaching people? What are we, it's, um, and, and, and again, I, guys, I'm not, uh, obviously I'm not, paranoid about uh, rules and stuff. You know, I'd been in racing about two years and we were, I was, Tony Stewart and I were in his golf cart. Tony Stewart's golf cart run about 62 miles an hour. <laughs> it's, it's pretty jazzed up. Aerodynamically, it's still a golf cart. <laughs> so handling is a problem. Speed is no problem. Even at turning is the problem. Well, we're cutting up one day in the end building, and uh, the France family owns NASCAR. We came around this curve. I'm, I'm driving, trying to get Tony somewhere. We're flying, and uh, and 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 uh, this group of people come across the road. I have to slam on brakes, slide. So we slide sideways. We stop just before getting these people. It happens to be the France family. Uh, <laughs> I've been a pastor like two years in NASCAR, and I'm sitting there. They just glared at me and walked on by. Tony Stewart said, "Man, if you'd have hit one of them." Not only would they pull your hard card, which is our credentials to get in, he said, they wouldn't even show NASCAR races on your television at your house. It is right. So, so for us, you know, as a role model, uh, what are we demonstrating? As a change champion, is it working in your life? Now, he's got lots of points, and in this book, okay? But as, as you go through that, then, you know, for us, as you keep looking at it, you've, you've got to go to this next level. He says, we must be able to demonstrate teamwork. <clears throat> that those are sort of the traits, in a sense, of the... Of the um, bright light, so to speak. So are we training training ourselves? You know, blessed be the name of the Lord. Um, you know, y'all, y'all know, um, 
some of you. We, uh, I had the privilege of, of uh, Laura Story, who just won an, uh, an award for her song, Blessings. Uh, she was in our youth group as she was growing up. I was a youth pastor. Uh, her, her life has been uh, up and down and all around. So when you hear that song, she was funny as she sent out pictures from the uh, uh, Grammys because she was down in the basement in uh, Vegas and she was eating a sub sandwich waiting to go up to get her award. Okay, and she said, this is, this is getting a Grammy on a budget. <laughs> and, uh, but you know, she gets married, her husband has medical complications. Um, uh, he can't work for the rest of their lives, forgets that they're married. It's almost like Groundhog Day in, in reality. It's almost like, a, like, what's that movie, the 51st Dates or 100, whatever it is. I mean, they, I mean in, in, the, in the hospital bit after they'd been married, she's, when he came out of this surgery, uh, he'd lost uh, a brain surgery, and it's just a, an amazing thing. But he, uh, she crawled up in the bed to hug him, and he, was, he panicked because he didn't realize they were married. And so he tried to get her out of the bed. He said, oh, we can't do that. And, uh, and so uh, she says, honey, we're married. And, so, and she has to remind him all the time. Um, and so when she writes a song about blessings, uh, maybe we, maybe we uh, don't define it correctly. So maybe we, uh, maybe we live something to people that's not accurate. You know, maybe without realizing we fall into the trap of thinking that blessings are not enough. <coughs> And success, whatever that term means. And so we, we pull back around. We, uh, you know, we look at this stuff and we go, okay, how are we going to train ourselves? So you, you tell me, how do you, how do you train yourself emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically, to to be the role model, to be the change champion? How, how do y'all do that? You tell me. I mean, I know what I do. What do you do? I, I mean, I know the obvious. You know, we, we have devotions and we have prayer life and, 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 and you know, and Dr. Phil would say, how's that working for you? <laughs> no, but, uh, uh, you know, that, that plus, in a sense. <clears throat> what do you do? Go ahead. Um, I try to unplug once in a while, spend time alone, thinking... Silence, peace, stuff like that. Okay, so you you pull yourself on purpose out of the busyness. Okay, and when you pull yourself out, what are you doing then? Um, it's pretty much time set aside to for thinking about nothing or uh, to maybe go over the day again. Um, just uh, see where I'm at, get a look at the big picture. Okay. All right. You know, we, we've heard it said over and over again that, that uh, and people have corrected it years ago, a golfer made uh, this statement. I've heard it repeated numerous times, but, you know, people say practice makes purpose, it makes perfect. And, of course, we know that that's not true. You know, perfect practice might make perfect, but when I go to the driving range, I'm just as bad on the course 
Okay? Because I practice badly. Okay? Whatever I'm doing wrong, I do it a thousand times in the driving range. <laughs> and then, then when I go to the golf course, it's exactly the same. Okay? So, so um, pulling away from busyness is a good thing. What you do when you're away from busyness is important. When, when Paul talks about training, he's intense about it. And he's intentional about it. So if it's just to clear your mind, that's a very good thing. You know, uh, figure out how to do that. Okay? Uh, it's like everybody that goes on sabbatical doesn't necessarily make the use of their sabbatical time. The, you know, they, sometimes it's bad practice. Okay? So what else? passage in Ecclesiastes that talks about uh, a court of three strands. Do we, do we understand what teamwork really is? You know, we, we already know that you know uh, we ought to have people look up uh, using her attitude the word fellowship. What we call fellowship typically is not fellowship biblically speaking. Okay, and so um, and so as we as we look at that passage in Ecclesiastes that talks about a court of two strands. Um, it's good if you fall, somebody helps you up, or if you get cold, somebody keeps you warm. A cord of three strands is better, that kind of thing. We, we need to understand more about initiating teamwork. Okay? If we're going to be all that we were uh, created to be, borrowing from the title of that book. Um, you know, it's a great book if you haven't read it um, called Sandpaper People. Have you read that book? Very good book. Talk about what to do with people that rub you the wrong way. Okay, great title. Okay, even the book was bad. The title was outstanding. Okay, but the uh, but we all have. But one of the points he makes in the book is, as you read the book, is he says, "Hey, you have sandpaper people in your life on purpose, and get a grip. You're sandpaper to somebody else. That's true." Okay? But God puts people in our life to rub us the wrong way on purpose. What is it doing with you? Okay? How are you responding to it? Are you training yourself to understand that, um, you know, that uh, in many ways, um, when I ask people when was the last time they felt close to God, it's almost always the same answer. Two extremes. They will almost always say, some form of adventure, you know, a, a baby being born, a missions trip, uh, winning a race, um, um, whatever the case may be. Some sort of adventure. <coughs> Passing a test, that kind of thing. Or it'll be some extreme of adversity. When my father died or when I found out a loved one had cancer or this or that. 
And so I'm okay with both of those, but we need to figure out how to stay close to God in between the two extremes. <clears throat> One of the things about people that rub you the wrong way is it produces a, a sense of, of adversity in some respects. It never surprises me, but it's always surprising when I spend time with people that you're stunned that somebody doesn't like you. Okay? It, that doesn't surprise me when people don't like me. I, I'm a butt. I know I am. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't mean to be, and I'm making progress. I'm a, I'm a bigger butt now than I was. I'm making, I'm making progress, I think. My wife thought I was going to grow more, okay, um, or faster. But for us, you know, uh, think about it. So um, certainly isolation, getting with people to really pray and and to emphasize the connection, um, not for any purpose of a program or, or using God as a bending machine or something, just just to just get get what what else? I really appreciate having mentorship for people outside of the structure of the church that I work within. Um, be like family uh, members or there's uh, Tony Robbins, who's been considered one of the leading, I guess, gurus of self-help messages in our country, talks about uh, mentorship. And he talks about when he when he first started his his change from bankruptcy and foreclosure and being evicted from his apartment, decided to become the guru of of, of uh, self-help. He he pursued twelve of the top people. Uh, that he thought de- defined success for him. And as he approached those 12 people, every one of them had one thing in common. It was all mentorship. Every one of them had been mentored by somebody. Okay, ironically, of the 12 that had been mentored, okay, only two of them were doing that at that, at that point. Two of the 12. It's the same thing with us if we're not careful. We, we, we do ministry because we assume that people need mentorship. We, we, we feel called by God and, and the privilege to be able to do that. But we somehow, once we've arrived or gotten our, our degree or we've gotten our position or something, we stop seeking it in our own lives. It's a, maybe maybe we've had our, we have our position now or something. And so my encouragement, yes, is, is uh, have somebody in your life like that all the time. As you're trying to be that somebody to some to several people, good work, Steph. Somebody else had their hand up back there. Yes, yes. Um, one thing that one of my mentors told me is that um, when you're ministering to other people, one of the things that you should do is pull away at halftime and minister to yourself because you're having a lot of time um, spending time working for God, but you're not having a lot of time being with God. Mm. Good. Yes. When you look at those four things and you think about being stuck and then strained, you know, that's the question I had about it. Uh-huh. You know, uh, when you hear strained and so forth, it sounds like uh, it sounds like effort that you you make. I mean, I know that's effort you make, but it sounds like it's about what you do as opposed to what God does. You know, and I know that you 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 speak a lot about the way that grace, your understanding of grace in your own life, and grace, giving grace to other people, creates a, 
creates a kind of change and a momentum in your life. Can you talk a little bit about that, about how the, the, the movement of grace in your own life and other people's lives? No. Evidently <laughs> 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 not. <laughs> no, the, um, you know, as, as you look at the scriptures as a whole, okay, as y'all study the scriptures, uh, again, I, I try to put things in, 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 a, uh, uh, in a package that people can, that when they leave, they can remember something if they want to. You know, make it as simple for people to remember it as possible. You know, when Spurgeon said you ought to find the youngest and least interested person in the congregation and communicate to that person, then everybody else will get it. Okay? What we have a tendency to do, because we're so uptight about our own significance, is that we try to impress the, the, the most learned one in the room, and we miss everybody else. So in, in a setting, uh, for me, I, I need to keep three things in, in my mind. The Bible generally talks about self-care. Why? Because we are the temple. He tabernacles within us. Take care of your body. Take, uh, uh, eat well, exercise, sleep. Find time for yourself. Find, you know, it talks about self-care. Not selfishness, but survival. And then the Bible talks about belonging which is everybody's greatest desire. We might say fit in, or whatever the case. You know, there's, there's no... Um, when you look at 1 Kings uh, 6, when it describes the temple, it's an interesting thing. Uh, when you look at 1 Kings 6, as it describes the temple, because you can see what's going on with the social networking in our society today. When you see the temple, when you see the, the, the outer porch... And then you see the courtyard, then the Holy of Holies. Okay, one of the things that 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 it, that, that passage helps me understand is um, overly simplified for me is that we have uh, what I would call contacts. You know, uh, Twitter, face. It always makes me laugh when somebody says, "We're friends, aren't we?" And I'm going, "Hell, if you don't know." Okay. Uh, <laughs> Okay, but, uh, but contacts, I'd say that the courtyard is people that you're connected to, and then the Holy of Holies is real communion with people. Okay, and so for me, um, I want to live my life from the inside out, not from the outside in. If we're not careful, we live our lives based on our contacts instead of on instead of communion. Okay, I mean, it's, it's funny. You can buy people. You can purchase now followers on Twitter in case you fill your account. They never know. I'm going, really? Okay, and so um, the belonging is, is, a, is a inner hunger. And then it talks about what is your mission. My fear is that in your ministry, the reason that we get discouraged and, and have doubts is because we reverse the order. We think if we accomplish our mission, we therefore deserve self-care and belonging. If I've done my ministry well enough, 
Okay, if it's if it's fruitful enough. Okay, if then I somehow you know like people tell me all pastors all the time will say, man, I I don't have time to have a prayer life. They're living from the outside in. Okay, I I don't have time to really have a devotion and a study time. I'm running this ministry. They're living from mission towards self-care. Does that make sense? So for us, when we come back around, I think what God is trying to demonstrate to each one of us is that He wants to just be with us. He likes to hang out with us. He says, hey, let's, let's do self-care. Let's, let's belong with each other. I'll take care of the mission. I'll, I'll take care of the ministry. Let's just get together. Well, that's also true when I spend time with people. Um, I just like uh, sandpaper and all. Uh, some, some are, um, you know, more pleasant than others. But people fascinate me. How different we can be. And, and you know, I'm fascinated by the, by the person, whether I win the argument or discussion or not. Because winning the discussions is always, is nerve, people will call me sometimes to speak places, they'll always say, they, they typically say the same thing. They'll say, now, uh, in some way, they'll say, gosh, dog, you know, uh, can I tell you some of the speakers that have been here before you? <laughs> Why, are you trying to make me feel bad? <laughs> And I'll go, yeah, sure, sure, I like. And then, and then in that context, and I, and I like that, but then somewhere along there they're going to go, man, such and such had an unbelievable response. <laughs> such and such, we had 26 people come to Christ when he spoke. In my mind, I'm going, well, you're getting 30 when I'm there. <laughs> does that not make sense? Or does that not happen to y'all? Or you have a meeting and you go, well, we had 20 kids last week. If, if I'm getting better at it, I'll have 25, that, the 30, 40, 50. We get caught up in that mission instead of the self-care and the belonging. So, well, y'all know, uh, we just had Easter. You know, my, my question is, what happens to you after Easter? You know, we usually reserve that for, that morning after is usually something we regret. Okay, uh, that concept. I'm going, what was the morning after Easter like for you? If we really understood Mark 16, you know, that, which is the most, the shortest, I mean, in eight verses he describes Easter for us in Mark 16. You know, it's the most translated book in the uh, gospel uh, because it's the shortest. Okay, but when he says the women were, it says, and when the Sabbath had passed. I love that phrase. And y'all know this. Uh, yeah, but he, when he says, and when the Sabbath had passed, it, the, he was describing the darkest day for those believers, the darkest day for followers of Christ. And he says it in like four words. What do we do? We get bogged down in the despair. It was despairing on Saturday. It was frightening on Friday. And Mark, because he's living in the hope now, of the reality and the grace of the reality of Easter, when he writes about it, he just says, and when the Sabbath had passed, 
most of the people I spend time with spend all their time, the next seven verses in life, talking about the darkness. But God is good. So turn it around. Yeah, things have been tough for me. Somebody asked me earlier, how are you doing? And I said, well, in the areas that matter, I'm doing great. I mean, I'm getting my butt kicked in some areas. But train your mind. You know, when, when he says they were running to the tomb, again, y'all know the Easter story inside and out, but do we apply it to our training? When they were running to the tomb, they were concerned about what? The rock. <coughs> well, when they got there, God had already taken care of that. I think some of y'all have a rock in your life, in the area of training and progress and God's strength and grace, you have a rock in your life that's keeping you from embracing the resurrected Christ. Whatever that rock is, somebody hurts your feelings, uh, and your feelings are important. Someone disappointed you. You got a bad deal in your family. They're all important. But if you would live in the reality of the, of the hope that comes from Easter, you'd say, and when the Sabbath had passed, God rolled away the stone. They stepped into the tomb. The angel then says, y'all know the story, but the angel says, Jesus of Nazareth, He's risen. He's not here. We know all that that means, but then the next thing that He says Go tell the disciples. You'll see them in Galilee and Peter. And you need to put your name in there. That's what grace is for me. I think God says to everybody, hey, uh, uh, tell the students from Geneva we're having this meeting. And tell Kenny, because he's probably checked out already. Tell Kenny, because he's probably denied Christ or done something stupid. or you know, tell, Make sure Kenny knows. Make sure Seth knows. Does that make sense? We, we, we have a tendency sometimes to think that Christianity is about a movement. And it does do that. Or we think it's about building a church. And it does do that. Or we think it's about building our youth group. And it does do that. But Christianity at the core of grace is personal. Really personal. Put your name in Mark 16. Every minute of every day. And why does he say, I'll see him at Galilee? Overly simplified. It's because he says, you can trust what I say. If I tell you I'm going to be at Galilee, I'll be at Galilee. He didn't need to show himself to all those people, but what was he doing? He was putting in their head, you can trust me. You can trust me. So I, I don't know what your rock is, but, but for me, grace is not just that I'm forgiven, okay, and that he put... My name in that sentence in Mark 16, but that he not only has the power to forgive me, he has the power to change me. It's both. You, 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 you cheat grace if it's just about forgiveness. When I look at that little 13 year old girl, I say, hey, uh, we can whip this. When I look at a guy that's struggled with depression for 10 years, has sat on a couch and just been checked out. 
And I, I remember the first time we met again, I said, you know, it doesn't even mean anything to you right now for me to say this, but we're going to whip this. He just, he's just, he's not there. Now, it means something to him. You know, you look at a guy like that and you go, that's He'd already built a multi-million dollar company before he went into depression. His children sold it. They lived, they, they've got millions and millions of dollars. And he's sitting in a corner. Can't relate to his kids, can't relate to his wife, can't relate to his grandchildren. Now, he's got so many business ideas, his family are afraid of him. They're like, Kenny, give him some more depression. <laughs> slowing down why because the emphasis should not be on mission don't, don't let the world do that to you that's, that's, that's the wrong course don't, don't let the world force you to live from the outside in Ray Crabb was right years ago when he wrote that book Inside Out what does that mean to you? So train yourself in whatever that takes. And then find training about ministry and then deal with progress in your life. You know? Are you different? Where do you, where do you see? Uh, I've got a student that I've invited to spend time with. This is, this is tough. I mean, this family called me. Uh, on a Monday and said his son was 21 years old struggling with depression this and this and that uh, you know all that on Thursday he tries to kill himself he called me on Monday on Thursday they called me screaming in the middle of the night he shot himself in the head and when he shot himself the, the gun blew him backwards so it took the front of his face off they're screaming, crying, can you get here? We think he's going to die. I get to the emergency room about 4 o'clock in the morning. This unbelievable surgeon has put his face back together. And so um, we started the pilgrimage together. Lost his eyes. He'll never see again. Lost his nose, all of his teeth, jaw, They've taken ribs and rebuilt his jaw. He's had surgery after surgery. We're 10 months into it. He couldn't talk, of course, so he would write, he'd write notes to me, scribble, you know, it's, I told him who I was. He knew me uh, from other settings, and uh, I said, are you, are you ready for us to put your life back together? And he cusses on his, on his he's writing, cussing me out. He hates me, and I said, hey, man, I, I didn't shoot myself, you did, you know. I mean, we're pretty, I mean, there's no reason to pretend in that setting. Okay, so he, now they've built in such a way that he can talk, but it's hard to, it's hard to understand him. And so, uh, uh, he's got me on speed dial, and he'll call, and I, he'll be mad, he'll be uh, cussing at me on the phone. And so we'll, we'll start talking, I say, hey man, if you think you had, you were depressed before this, uh, you're really going to be depressed now? You have no eyes. 
no teeth. They build in your tongue. At that point, and, and I got to tell you, uh, I deal with people every day, and so do you, that are in the exact same situation he is, but they've got us, and they've got teeth, and they've got a face. So you pull back and you go, man, wherever I started, remember, Denny, we've been, we've been together forever, you're such an encouragement to me, always have been. Years ago, the very first time I came here, I told a story about uh, when I was a youth pastor once, you know, we went on one of those camps. You ever been to one of those camps where you, you're wondering, the camp doesn't look anything like the pictures. Have you ever been there? You know? <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. So we went in this camp and they had bunk beds inside that were like four high. And I'm with junior high kids. And everybody wanted to sleep on the top. And I'm like, no way. Not nice here sleeping with a helmet on. <laughs> okay, so this one kid I'll never forget, he talked to me into letting him sleep on the top. I asked everybody, do you move around much when you sleep? Because it's a long way down. <laughs> We're all in this room. It's like 2.30 in the morning. We heard this unbelievable bump. <laughs> and then this moan. <laughs> so he not only fell out of the top bump, he was in his sleeping bag. <laughs> so there was no stopping the fall. <laughs> and I must have told him a hundred times, when you go to sleep, you crawl over as close to that wall as you can. Get close to the wall. He's on the ground. <laughs> oh, I turned the light over all falling out laughing because he's breathing. <laughs> and so uh, I go, man, are you okay? Are you okay? I'll never forget what he said. First word after that you can understand. <laughs> he said, I guess I didn't get close enough to the wall. <laughs> No kidding. <laughs> and I, I want to say that to us sometimes. We fall out of the bed all the time because we don't get close enough to the Father. On a regular basis. So we come back around and, and I have to ask myself all the time, you know, gosh, could that talk have gone better? Certainly. Could I? Yeah, I, I spoke at a church um, at Easter at my wife's encouragement. I, I know I was supposed to be led by the Spirit, but my wife said do it. <laughs> Methodist church, big church. You know, they, they told me a hundred times it had to be X number of minutes because they were on television and on the radio. And I said, looks like a lot of people on TV aren't going to see the end. <laughs> and so, you know, I said, I'll, I'll try, I'll try. And, um, <laughs> well, about, by the time I got up to teach, the guys that were leading, they, got, they kind of got on this thing the whole time about Peter and <coughs> You know, John 21 being reinstated and stuff. And they, they must have said eight times that Peter had fallen from grace. That, that phrase bothers me. Okay, and it should bother you. Okay, 
What, what do we mean when we say to somebody that they've fallen from grace? And how ironic that they used Peter. <laughs> you know? And, and so, uh, because of Mark 16 and John 21 and several passages. But we, we start thinking that way in our own lives, and then it, it, it permeates how we respond to other people. Boy, if that has happened to you, get closer to the wall again. That makes sense? I don't talk too much. Anybody else got something they were saying? About any of those four things? What I've done in, in ministry, just to, as you're thinking about what you're going to say, and I'll shut up, is uh, remember when Nehemiah rebuilds the wall? Um, and so, you see, I, I made up this word several years ago called consystematic. Okay? It's not a word, but I was looking for something consecutive and systematic at the same time. So, consistematic. Uh, I believe that Nehemiah looked at the needs of Jerusalem. He wept, he prayed, and God gave him a burden. In that burden, then God gave him a vision to rebuild the wall. In that vision, he then had to look at resources. And in those resources, he then established goals and objectives. And then he implemented the plan. I follow those seven steps with everything that I do. Because it's supernatural that Nehemiah rebuilt the wall. And by God's grace, I'd like to have that experience in my own life. When somebody calls you about their son who was Facebook and all, the need is obvious. I've got to go to the Father and ask if I have a burden <coughs> for this person. And just because I don't doesn't mean that God's not going to help him or God's not going to use somebody else in his life. I just have to ask, is it me? If I can't see this kid being full and rich and dynamic <coughs> and, and content, then don't get started. Most of us start programs in our churches that we should have never done to begin with. You didn't have a burden for it to begin with. Somebody else was doing it. Somebody else thought it was a good idea. Whatever the case may be. So you're trying. You're not training. Does that make sense? And so... Um, you know, I, I go, you know, the need's obvious. The question is, God, would you have me be involved? If you would, what's the vision? And then what are the resources that are necessary? Do I have goals and objectives? And in those goals and objectives, okay, at that point, when do I implement? Or evaluate, or whatever word you want to use. 
How many think you're involved in things right now that you maybe don't have a burden for? Raise your hand. Thank you. I mean, besides this right here today. <laughs> raise your hand. Go ahead. Raise your hand. Really. I mean, we we just uh, gosh, dog. We our time is precious. Uh, you know, and so think through where you're investing your time because it is an investment. Be intentional about it. I mean, I, if um, you know. Um, I, it was funny, when I went to Hunger Games, at games with my wife, she wanted to see Mira Mira. I've won that, and um, we were going to see Hunger Games. Okay, so it was on Monday, and so it's a school night. We were laughing about the number of students that came in, because that, that movie's geared really to young people. So there, there were about 80, I, I counted 84 students, and we were laughing before the movie started. I said, gosh, isn't it odd? And when we were in school, there's no way my parents would let me go to a movie on a Monday night. Okay, we were just talking about it, just laughing and, and stuff. And, uh, and so then, um, of course, when the movie started, okay, 47 that I could see, 47 kids stayed on their phone the entire time. <laughs> entire time. The one in front of me was just playing games. Okay, and I'm laughing, I'm going, number one, their parents must have paid for this movie. <laughs> number two, even a movie that is geared to them, they're not interested in and they're obviously not interested in who they're here with because they're talking to somebody that's not even with them. Okay? And so I was just laughing, and I'm not down on the phone. I'm on, I'm on the phone all the time. Okay? Uh, uh, Sprint says they don't jam our phones, but I have, I have two phones because okay? at the racetrack, Verizon won't, won't work. And uh, Sprint gives me one free, and they say they don't jam it, but they cheater cheaters. But anyway, so... <laughs> So uh, you can forget it you know, from the sprint and the racetrack. So for us, okay, um, you got to look at these things. You know, add anything? I'm about to wrap it up. Can you give a last chance if anybody has a question or comment? Is, is, are y'all, is this, y'all trying to let me know that I'm in the north or something? Is it cold in here? <laughs> okay, I'll just, I'll just check it. <laughs> I mean, I'm okay with cold. I appreciate somebody trying to make you stay awake. Okay. <laughs> Anybody got anything you want to say? Not say? Add to, take away? It's time to come forward, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, uh, let's thank uh, Kenny for uh, <laughs>